Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Pierre. I am joined as always by Tara. Greetings, citizens. This is a science fiction movie podcast. We talk about sci-fi movies every week. We get together, watch a movie, and we talk about it. It's that simple. And about a month or so ago, we went back and we watched and discussed the first Matrix film. Why? Because, well, there's a new one coming out at the end of the year, so it made sense that we have to get through the, the original trilogy. So we are here today to talk about The Matrix Reloaded, which came out in 2003, as did the next one as well, actually. They both came out in 2003. They were kind of a, it was like summer and then like November time, I think, for the, for the third one. Um, So we're going to talk about Matrix Reloaded. I have not seen this prior to today in about 15 years. And my memory of it was not that positive, so I was very curious to get into this. When was the last time you saw this before this? Um, I probably watched it outside of the theaters, but I just remember going to the theater quite a few times to see it. I was also working in a movie theater at the time, so I could go for free. Mm. Multiple, you went multiple times, that's interesting. Even for free? I did, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Um... Teenage Tara, uh, questionable taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah, late <laughs> teens. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, how do you follow up uh, a, basically a masterpiece? Like, how, how do you yeah, follow 10 out of 10. How do you follow up a 9.5 out of 10 film, like The Matrix? <sighs> it's, it's difficult. So, you know, I mean, I'll just say spoiler warning. I, th- I think, you know, A, it's an older movie. It's also a sequel. I feel like anyone who cares about our opinion on Matrix Reloaded is not worried about the spoilers for Matrix Reloaded. Although I think we will stay away from talking about anything we remember from uh, Revolutions. That will be easy because I actually <laughs> don't really remember anything from that movie. <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. That works out in our favor then. Works out in the audience's favor. Just, just, in, just in case someone's watching the trilogy for the first time and watching our discussions yeah. after they've seen the movie, they've not watched the third one yet. Um, I definitely remember the feeling I had after watching that movie, but I don't mm. remember the movie. Yes. Um, what was funny is I'm, a, I'm, and I'm not just saying this to prod at you, but I'm a little bit younger than you, just a little bit. But, but a little bit now means nothing, right? We feel that we're the same age group. In 2003, that little bit was a, a more of a gap. In the sense that you're in your late teens, I was in my early teens. And yeah, 14's early, 14's early. <laughs> um, so I think what's interesting about my perspective is that I don't think I necessarily disliked the sequels immediately because I don't think I was smart enough to realize that they sucked at the time. <laughs> I think I convinced myself that they were all right because of a couple of good action scenes or something. Um, mm-hmm. And I discovered that watching them a few years later, probably the age you were when you first saw them, that... Oh, these 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 are kind of dull and sucky or or whatever, right? I don't remember my exact thoughts. I just remember a general feeling, as you say, as a feeling. Um, right. You know, time has passed, so uh, I was very curious to see if we were going to find things to like in this film now. Uh, how it had aged, if the stuff that I remember being bad was still bad, if anything I did remember liking was still good, and if I would discover, it. especially since you know we watched the first film again and we sat and we talked about it really in depth. We went over two hours. We looked at it through all the themes of the science fiction, some um, more, not recent themes, but themes that we recently were made more aware of by the directors. Yeah, we had new lenses, all these things. Um, I literally just got new glasses in January, so they are relatively still new lenses, literally. So... You jerk. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I just cracked a little joke. So, yes. So I was very curious. I was very curious to see how I felt about Matrix Reloaded. And this film is even worse than I remember it. How do you feel? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm mixed on it. Uh, there's a lot of things I really like in it. I, I think I'm going to be more positive than you. Because I did see it multiple po- times in the theater because I was really into it when it came out. I thought there were just little things about it that I knew were wrong. Like, I don't like this. Mm. But, you know, a lot of the major set pieces are very cool. Uh, a lot of the fighting is very cool. The CGI is very not cool. In this. <laughs> like somehow, even though it's four years later, it got worse. <laughs> for this film i think because they try to like one-up things um i think the directors were a bit more confident but i think in this one because it it does it's it's shot differently it looks differently it looks more like a hollywood film but it's but I, i don't think the confidence is warranted um i think it's just not as tight of a script I, I know <laughs> I know tight. it is that is the most generous way you well, can phrase that well, it's I not know as it tight is a, it's hot well, trash okay, hold on hold on hold on, <laughs> hold on. Okay, all right, I on. know that it's a two-parter and we only have half so <laughs> that is working against it you know um so I don't have all of my answers because I don't remember what the answers are <laughs> for that we'll get in the third movie so you know I'm gonna wait and see how I really feel about it. But I remember when I, well, one thing I do remember from the third film is how I felt after I watched it, which made me not like this one as much. But now I don't remember what the answers are. So I don't hate it. I really don't. I don't hate it. I do still sort of hate that it exists because I love the matrix on its own. Cause once you add sequels into it, it changes the messages <laughs> from the first film. Um, and now we just have, a Superman, like it's a Superman movie. Where did I begin? With a bunch of ravers. <laughs> There's so many things you said there. I've got entire like sections on to 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 develop to to devote well, time to in this. I mean, I like we'll just break it down one at a time. I I, I like I I do kind of hate this movie, and I I I kind of felt bad within the first thirty seconds. Like the very first thing you see in this movie. Is the it's, it's actually a scene from like towards the end of the movie because Neo was dreaming about it in advance. But immediately there was these like red flags I was having. Somehow, like everyone who's not a main character in this is not a good actor. I don't know how they achieved this, but there's a there's a moment at the start where it's you know, it's Trinity comes in the bank and she like do the slow motion flying off and the bank lands in the building and explodes and she does the the pose and it's, like, it's all very matrixy. And it cuts to like the security guard who's getting into his car and the camera sort of tracks in really quickly to his face and he's like, oh my God, that's not <laughs> yeah. possible. And I'm like, yeah, this is just the worst version of the, the, the opening scene from the first movie. Uh, I mean, we're even starting in this, the same way where it's just Trinity versus an agent. It's Trinity trying to get away from an agent. Uh, and then we get and that visual effect of her jumping out the window and spinning around with the guns and like firing upwards. It looks horrible. And... So I guess the first point I'll address of what you said from your list, which was the, the CG not being good, and, and to an extent the directing and the, the overconfidence is, like, obviously there's all these horror stories about studios and stuff interfering with movies and it ruining directors' visions and it comes out with this corporate mess as a result. And 
those are very warranted stories in a lot of cases. But this this streams to me is an example of these directors were better when they were restrained in some way. When there was when there was guidelines. I don't know if there was maybe like someone like helping them out, like a producer who was like more hands on in the first film. But everything about this, it's very it's very Star Wars prequels. It's it's no one was telling them no. No one was saying this is bad or this is a stupid idea. It just it reeks of self indulgence in all of the worst possible ways and. What, what the, the first thing I thought is, a this looks terrible. The effect, the visually, the effect looks terrible because they're using all this CG to accomplish more over the top bullet time stale moments. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, like this, and in a lot of moments as the movie went on, I was just like, I, I kind of remembered feeling this, and I just, I'm, I'm, I just, I feel it. Like I know I feel it now watching it again. Is that this is. This doesn't feel like a movie made by the same people that made the first film. This feels like a fan fiction movie made by people who loved the first film and feel the need to copy and reference the first film as often as humanly possible. Because it's all about recreating the moments that the first film made you feel in the action or in the style and even in the music where the little flares will like come up in the soundtrack. And all every time it came up, all I could think was this has no purpose in this movie all to make me think this is cool because it's doing matrixy things again one of the things we said when we watched the first movie is that every single scene we had like there was so much depth in every scene that was building the character of new it was building the, the story the character journey mm-hmm. of that film and what the, the, the messages of the film were and it's there layered within every scene every scene felt like it had such a purpose and there's so many action scenes especially in this movie that just feel like they're there to have an action scene and it was really starting to piss me off. And it's, so instead of action scenes feeling tense, like there's weight to them, like there's danger to them, uh, they don't for the most part, uh, with one or two notable exceptions. And as a result, I, I, they, they have no impact. I don't feel anything from them and they don't feel like they're driving the story forward, which is kind of, you know, 101, like big budget action movie complaint is when the script just doesn't, it's just there for an action movie scene, right? That's all it is. And on top yeah. of that, all of the other, the actual plot of the movie, which we'll get into as we go through it, almost all of it, like the first film was so smart in the way it progressed its story with Neo becoming the one, coming out of the Matrix, learning what he learns, and it's all about his journey of like sort of essentially believing in himself, right? There's a core story to it and mm-hmm. everything drives to that that goal, that, that point. This movie is nothing but let's come up with a MacGuffin that we have to get to. Let's come up with a person that we have to get to and that will magically lead to the ultimate like location or destination that we have to go to that might solve the conflict that's going on right now. It's nothing but a series of MacGuffins and people are MacGuffins. That's all it is the entire time. It's like the bare minimum of screenwriting in terms mm-hmm. of like how it works. So all you really have is a bunch of characters who sit in monologue about Except what all these things mean. very complicated. <laughs> It's, it's like, very complicated because they want to bring back Agent Smith, and that doesn't really make sense. And now we have to get from this MacGuffin to that one to that one and that one, like you said. And the plot becomes so like it, it's just too much. Like there's it, there's there's too much, and then they want to have all these well, it's deep it's, it's, themes on top of it. So to make those new characters incorporated into these themes, and they don't really feel like they're Matrix characters but, anymore. They they feel like. Uh, Gods, but but, in a way, but it's both the it, ones that we meet. It's they're both. It is both too simple and too convoluted. Because I wouldn't say it's complex or complicated. I would say it's convoluted. Uh, 
That that'd be yeah, the word I'd use. Maybe. It, it just it keeps like you know every time they get to something, we have to get to the keymaker. Okay. Oh, we have to get to the 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 door of light. Oh, okay, you're just making up concepts and saying the characters have to get to them, and there was the and you kind of gloss over what any of these things are or mean under the pretense of oh, it's the mystical prophecy of the oracle, and there's so much talk about prophecies in this one. And mm-hmm. the first film had so much to say about what it was about. Right, it was so everything it was talking about with the character of Neo and the him believing in himself, and then we you know we talked in our our discussion of the first one about how you could add on the trans. Uh, like layer to that and everything else it did all that without ever like having to outright say what it was about this movie tells you every 10 minutes this movie's about choice and it's about you know do we have choice the illusion of choice is this just another method of control like they repeat the the the, the key points of the conversation over and over again just so we definitely get it in our heads that's what the, this is what the movie's about it's usually a goddamn five-year-old that. <laughs> Everything that makes the first movie good, this movie feels miserably at. I do hate that Agent Smith is in this movie. Oh, he's, I, yeah, I, he's, he's... I get that, like, well, we're in the Matrix again, and we're still dealing with Neo, so we need to have a villain. Well, the villains are are the agents still. So we can't have an agent who's going to be as good as Hugo Weaving, so let's just bring 500 Hugo Weavings into it's it. A, it's like a 12-year-old wrote it. I mean, apart from the MacGuffin thing, it's like, oh, we want Agent Smith, but, well, Neo's super powerful now and can do anything, so how do we give him a threat that's big enough? How about 500 Agent Smiths? Like, it's a 12-year-old's yeah. idea. <laughs> and the action... It's a shame that they couldn't come up with just a new character for the new villain. Yeah, it, you know. And then, then they, they act- came up with a lot of characters. They, uh, uh, yeah, but they're, they're meaningless. Uh, the, the action of this film, because of the Agent Smith thing, basically turns into just anime shit. Uh, and that's not yeah. that's not a comment on the CG looking terrible because it does, but more just like it's just combat and martial arts for like ten minutes for c- combat sake. For the oh, we've got a cool martial arts scene, but it doesn't drive. Anything I mean, there forward. are some cool scenes. I, I do like. I do genuinely like a lot of the fights. A lot of the combat but then like at the halfway point neo grabs like a pole and then it just becomes a cartoon and like i don't like this anymore it looks terrible and it's just become like too much it's just too much going on yeah i and- i i can't disagree with that more just because i i think as soon as it starts there's no point in the fight scene it's just a fight and even when he fights the uh like the the guy who works for the oracle and it's just like He's like, I'm just going to test you for no reason, so we're going to fight on top of the tables, and it's just... Well, it's a repeat of the Morpheus fight. Exactly. Know, it's a repeat. It's a, it's a yeah, callback it's a test. to something from the first movie. It serves no purpose here. It does look good. Like, it's well it's well choreographed. It's well shot. Like, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good fight scene. But yeah, but I don't I mean, feel it anything really from it. as much yeah, there's, there's, meaning. Yeah, there's no need for it. It just it feels superfluous. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is. It's okay. I mean, I wouldn't say it's not a great fight. It's it's okay. It's just like it's one of these things where martial arts for me, like even if the martial arts are sound, like you have to actually have feeling in it. And because they're just kind of going through in the motions, because no one's actually trying to kill each other, and there's no reason to like really like defend themselves to the death or anything like that. Mm-hmm. There's no real stakes to it, and I just I kind of feel that in the fight. There's, there's a couple of exceptions which I'll get to, but for the most part, 
most of the action in the movie feels like it's just oh we want to have an act like a matrixy style scene but they go so yeah. over the top with all the matrixy elements of the scene that it just feels like a parody almost of the first film uh sure. at certain points um so sure yeah yeah like open opening the movie with the with the dream also and like now now neo is having the ability to to prophesize and see like the oracle does is i think a mistake also like maybe if he is able to sense that something is coming for for trinity like maybe just don't show exactly what's going to happen and instead like just have this like he's always worrying about her like he maybe he has multiple dreams or we see like more than one where she dies in different ways and so it's not like oh everything's going exactly as i predicted in my brain instead it's like you know he's just always worried for her so he just always imagines her dying in the matrix because that's a very probable thing that can happen it's very dangerous I don't know. Like I, I don't. I don't love. I don't love prophecies in general. <laughs> but I, luckily, it's th- like a. It's a movie, so it's shorter. This this movie goes all in on it. It really does. There's a lot of talking yeah. the prophecy stuff, and and I think that you know we said this at the end of the first one. I think it bears re- reiterating here though is that the first film had such a perfect ending. that felt at the end of the story, and it actually works better without sequels because ultimately. The idea being that if once Neo believes in himself, uh, he's then freed from the shackles of everyone doubting him that he can do anything. That's kind of the, the metaphor of the movie. And right. so at the end of the film, when he does fly off and it's like, you know, he's going to free everyone now, it's like, well, that's it. We just, we he, he's going to save them now. And that's it. We don't necessarily need to see how. Like, the, right. this desire to actually tell the story of how he's going to save everyone puts them into this corner of where they have to kind of come up with something and right right <laughs> away at the start of this movie it doesn't really feel like that much has changed because neo's become like super powered <laughs> in the matrix he's, he's he literally is superman like at the end of the movie he becomes superman he flies around like superman he's stronger than everyone else he's like invincible basically well, one of the few fights that i actually like in the movie even though there's not a lot of stakes to it is actually right at the start um, when they go to the Matrix for this meeting with all the other groups. Because that, cause that's one of the things the movie expands upon is that we meet other groups that go into the Matrix and other ships. Yeah, I like think they brought this up in Morpheus. in the first film that there are other ships, like the Nebuchadnezzar is oh, just yeah, one of many ships. They, no, they definitely did. They did um, Which is interesting. Like, you don't see other people from the Matrix in the first movie. So, like, oh, okay. Like, agents are always trying to track down, like, the Zionist that enter the matrix yeah no i i, I wasn't saying that this was like a, something out of nowhere but it's just something no, that expands no, from that, the that's definitely something that was brought up in the first film so you know it makes sense that that's something they would proceed in the sequel. it's a shame all the characters are terrible that they add and it, 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 it takes <laughs> away like data it, it yeah. takes away a lot of the the charm when there's just this room full of people wearing leather jackets like they're at a matrix party uh and super super cool sunglasses it looks really cosplayery and it, it can i don't know there's just something ab- about it that's a bit weird baby what i was saying is so during this meeting like there's the teaser smith but a couple of regular agents show up right and neo's like oh there's agents coming you know go and get tell everyone to go away and he's and it's like okay neo can fight agents though so neo stays behind and in comes in two or three agents and i like this scene on its own because it's like, okay, yeah, let's see how he does take on, like, three regular agents now. Like, how good is he now that he's practiced being Superman for a while and 
He is good at yeah. this shit. And that, because it's a brief scene and there's not really any CG for the most part, it's just done traditionally like the first film did it, where they're doing actual wire work and they're doing, you know, a proper yeah. fight scene. No, definitely. It's a good fight scene. And it's just, it, it, but it, I think because it serves a purpose, it's like, okay, here's where Neo is now, this is how he takes on some agents, and how everyone else is protected uh, by it. Admittedly, though, this is so. What I'm about to say is, I'm going to complain a little bit that it feels a little bit like it devalues the end of the first film. That we find out that most people in Zion don't actually believe in the one. <laughs> there's, there's obviously some, there's some zealots and stuff, but for the most part, Morpheus actually comes off in this film as a bit of a delusional uh, nut job because everyone yeah. else thinks he's crazy. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a terrible idea. I actually think the idea that not everyone believes in the idea of the one is at least a little bit interesting and there's a few ideas in this film right. that i think are interesting I, i'm pretty sure that was also brought up in the first movie that morpheus I'm, like because he went to the oracle about it and she's told him like you would find the one that he became obsessed with it but nobody else like really believes him it may have been a passing line of dialogue it wasn't like that heavily focused on though no 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 um but i i don't the the, the problem is is that Everything that this does, if you don't have anything to actually tell with the story, then like if you don't, if you're not gonna do anything with it, because one of my big problems with Neo having all these powers in this movie is that other than one or two small things, right? Well, actually, there's one big example, but for the most part, it doesn't really do anything mechanically with it. And I always have mechanics when I'm talking about movies when they set up their own rules and they set up the world that they're in. Like, if you're going to do a Matrix sequel, then Use the mechanics and the rules of the Matrix, which this movie doesn't do a lot of, and by that I mean, oh, having to get to a landline, you know, in time to to get out, or having to, you know, the the rules that they operate under. And and one of the few things that actually does a good job with this is later on in the big, uh, the freeway chase, right? Not so much the actual car chase itself, um, which is fine. Like I don't have necessarily a problem. I mean, the CG is not good, but other than that, like the, the actual concept of the scene is decent enough. Um, forgetting that they're just there because they've got this MacGuffin man that they're trying to <laughs> protect. But other than that, the actual action of it's fine. But the one part of that scene that actually is really good, and this is something they absolutely should have done in the sequel, and it's the one thing they kind of get right for me, is that at some point in the film, either Trinity or Morpheus, in this case it's Morpheus, needs to be left alone and forced to fight an agent. The idea right. being yeah. that obviously we know Neo can take them on by the droves now. We literally see him fighting a thousand of them earlier on in the movie. Yeah. But putting Morpheus in a, a, a position where Morpheus, you start to believe that maybe Morpheus might just do it. Like, maybe he can actually go toe-to-toe mm-hmm. with an agent. And maybe the you know the, the lesson there, the, the moral there could be that, yeah, you believe Neo's the one, but believe in yourself too. You you, you can do this. Like, you actually have yeah. your own self-worth. Like, you can do this. So there's a few moments there that I think are good. Like, the idea of, like, taking Neo out of the equation and having the others in jeopardy... I think is important because I mean let's face it in the first Matrix movie before Neo trains up they are all badasses like they're, they're all presented mm-hmm. as badasses who can do badass things and or whatever um but yeah so I mean that, yeah so I, there's, a, there's a few good ideas in the film that I think are poorly executed um you know we get to see Zion for example um the people of Zion, I kind of hate almost entirely, uh, <laughs> which is a bit of a problem, I think. It's a strange re- representation. I mean, it's just like 
it's just like a, a party planet. It's, it's just it's just an odd choice. Like we're all here. We're alive. We may not be alive tomorrow. So let's all have sex and party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, like, you're, you're, you're referring to the infamous rave scene, which is stupid. And I, I do hate that. And I actually I, I can't. Are you talking about like the bigger picture? I'm, like, I'm talking, the, the everything. The I'm talking about I'm talking about everything in Zion. We're, we're ta- I'm talking about Zion okay. and the people in it in general. But just to go to that scene since you brought it up, uh, like the speech Morpheus gives before the, the, the rave begins, I hate that too. I, th- I think mm-hmm. his dialogue there is, again, it feels like it's written by a 12-year-old who thinks, oh, I'm going to write a speech for Morpheus. This is what Morpheus is going to say to everyone uh, that might be Mar- potential Morpheus followers. is the hype man for, for Zion, yeah. Yeah, but like, you know how <laughs> there was that one line that I didn't like in the first Matrix movie, right? Uh-huh. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything to do with Lawrence Fishburne, I just didn't like it. I thought it was overwritten. Half of what Morpheus says in this movie sounds like that to me. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of it sounds like shit. It sounds like... I can't... I don't want to just keep saying a 12-year-old wrote it, but it, that's what it sounds like, though, when, when he's talking about... There, there comes a point later in this movie when he starts to talk about, you know, believing they can end the war and the prophecy will be fulfilled, Neo's going to save us. There is a point where I kind of stop buying into it as an audience member because, look, you keep showing me the, the greater content. In the first movie, this worked. Partly because it was better written, but also because we had such a a condensed view. We had just the ship. We had just this core Mm -hmm. cast. We had just the story of Neo. We didn't have this greater scope. And it, it, you know, it it does dip into some bigger picture things. But, um, like, theoretically, seeing Zion is not a bad idea. And meeting the people of Zion is not a bad idea. I mean, it's expected. Right? It's expected. Yeah. It's expected, though, only because it's... Like, I think my big problem with this movie is that I don't feel like it has anything to say. So there's a lot of things that I think it's just doing. Like, we're only telling the story of how the how Neo ultimately ends the war because it's the only thing you can really do if you're going to do a sequel to The Matrix is, okay, how's he actually going to do it? Well, if I could speak. Please do. At all. <laughs> I mean, for for me, the the the, the first movie is so perfect as a standalone because neo represents all of us like he is special because he's not being oppressed anymore because he realizes that he's stuck in a system and he's able to break out of it and because of that he has all this potential and he becomes special the most special and it's like okay so neo like we're all being oppressed in a way and we all have potential to be special and so after the movie's done like, and he becomes Superman, it's like, oh, well, now we can be that. And adding sequels to it means that, no, he is truly the only one that is special. So, yes. and we have to tell his story now. And so, I, you know, you kind of have to accept that this is going to not be great. Like these, these sequels now are going to have not be great. We're just going to have to get, take what we can get. And see what they do with it, which means that they're just going to play inside this world, expand the universe. And I am still a little curious about that. Like, I am curious about how they're going to recreate this, this sandbox and what kind of new characters they're going to introduce and how they're going to expand this world. And, uh, and there is nuggets in there that I enjoy still, even though the movie's not great. I mean, never, it was never going to be great. It's kind of cursed to not be great well, well, <laughs> because well, of the way the movie well, ends. Well, don't get to summarize then. Let's, let's stay on Zion and its people because, I mean... Well, how, how, I mean, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to t- 
oh, to sorry. say this like 20 minutes ago when you started talking. Okay. So. <laughs> I'm not going to like summarize everything exactly, but you know, I just my my overall thoughts after watching the movie are just like some of the ideas I do like and just accepting that this is not going to be as good. You know, it's kind of like watching the first Jurassic Park and going, that was great. Now let's watch some schlock in that world, some B-movie style. So, you know, I guess maybe I have a more positive outlook than you do on this because I've already accepted that it's not going to be great. But, the you know, let the Wachowskis play in the sandbox and expand expand it and see what they see what they create and you know i don't hate all the makeup inside i don't hate the key maker storyline um i don't hate the architect um i hate some of the other creatures that they come up with um like uh some some of the stuff is a little bit ridiculous it reminds me of more newer wachowski projects like um like the ghosts and vampires and stuff and werewolves <laughs> things, which we'll get to. Um, that stuff seems a little, uh, yeah, it seems, a, seems a little silly. <laughs> like they, they, they want to add too many things to it. Anyway. Yeah. I, I guess I've talked enough, but that, well, that's what I wanted to say like a long time ago. <laughs> I'll be honest. I thought you'd summarize your thoughts already at the start. I didn't realize there was more. <laughs> But to go back to Zion, right? To go back to the people of Zion, right? I don't give a shit about a, a two-dialogue setup for a love triangle between Morpheus, Will Smith's wife, and uh, the future Martian Manhunter, right? Oh, yeah, that is who he is. Yeah. yeah. Like, th- that is... It, it's just designed so that every time this character shows up, he's mad that Naomi... Uh, which is Will Smith's wife's character, and Jada Pickett Smith, like her character Naomi, right? Who captains her own ship. Uh, mm-hmm. Every time it comes up, it's just so he can look angry or jealous or or, or whatever. That is basically all it is, at least in this movie. Um, I I don't like the the council. Like any, any t- like, there's very few examples to me where because this feels more fantasy than sci-fi, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have the council and you have them like like talking. Like there's a scene like halfway through the movie where. Uh, Martian Manhunter is like describing his plans for for this like defense of the attack because because the you know, the Sentinels are coming they're drilling down they're drilling down that's mm-hmm. what they're 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 they're, they're dooming and glooming over, and we have the one kind old man on the on the council who's like saying no no we will give Morpheus his chance and we'll send a ship out to help him and whatever. An actor we see many times. We have. Yeah, he was in Omega Man. He was in. Um, ah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a bit older than this. Yeah, but you're yeah, right. Yeah, he he was in something else that we watched. Oh, the Dead Zone. Um, he's in Star uh-huh. Trek Insurrection. He's a bad admiral. He's a bad admiral. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. He's got great eyebrows. That's why he's easy yeah. to recognize. I I because the first the the first like forty five. I mean the, the whole thing was boring as shit. Uh, yeah, there's, you know, there's a whole speech later on about cause and effect from the, the from the wannabe French guy. Um. But and we're, we're talking about the cause, and we're going to keep talking about the cause, but I'll just tell you what the effect is. The effect is, is I was bored shitless the entire time, because nothing was engaging. Mm. Uh, Clever. Right. <laughs> right. Because all this Zion stuff, like, they made it so painfully dull. Like, everything about it. Like, Neo's got, like, a super fan who comes up and, like, wants to join the, the crew, 
and like won't leave him alone so he's trying to hump his leg um and then there's the all, all the people who want to like give neo offerings because they see him as like the chosen one and like the second coming or whatever and yeah. you've got all that but i think so this was mostly pretty dull to watch it's a very poorly paced opening act i think but the moment for me where I went, oh god, this is not going to get any better, is the scene where after the... F- I mean, the rave is terrible, right? The rave is tedious. I, I was like, as soon as the rave started, like, I was on Twitter. Just, <laughs> like, the rave's happening. I don't need to really pay attention to it. Oh, just, you miss naked Carrie and Mouse? There's this rave things going on. Um, <laughs> but after that, right, so Neil wakes up because he can't sleep, and nice old man from the council uh, comes up and says, hey, do you want some company? And they start ha- having a conversation. And he takes him down to like the engineering area because near the core there's all these big machines they've got that are reprocessing the heat and the water and whatever and whatever. And he gives him this speech about, oh, you know, we need these machines to live, and yet there's machines from above that attract killers. It's like, and it, it and there's a bit in the middle of this 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 speech that he's given him. Where the word the point or maybe that's the point or not the point or I have no point is like thrown around like five times very quickly between them, and I'm like, this is terrible. This is this writing's trash. Like, what's happening? What what is this this conversation flow? It has no flow, and it's obviously setting up some of the the, the themes of the movie and um the idea of codependence and you know, whatever. Um, but they talk about choice, right? That's the big thing. Is Neo says, well, we have the choice to t- turn these machines off. But he's like, yeah, but if that happens, then you know we we wouldn't have heat or water. We'd all we'd all, we'd all die. So we don't really have a choice. We have the illusion of choice, which is and there's the the key phrase: illusion of choice, which is what the whole movie is really about. And this scene is just like, if you compare it to the first film, like yeah, obviously there's a lot of exposition in the first film explaining what the Matrix is and explaining who the characters are and and all that sort of stuff. But there's not. I don't think there's a scene. Right, there maybe there's a couple of phrases where you know he tells Neil to believe in himself or whatever, but there's no like scene where they have to like spell it out and like really introduce what the themes of the film are in such a uh with a hammer, you know, that's just blunt way where you're just getting hit in the face with it. Um, and this is like forty minutes out of the movie. This movie's two hours and twenty minutes long, and it takes a long time before it. It gets going to the point where, you know, Neo and Morpheus and Trinity and our new guy, uh, Link, uh, from Lost, uh, Michael from Lost, he's, he's the new, like, pilot slash comms guy when they're in the Matrix. Like, you know, it takes a mm-hmm. while before they're going back up. And, my... Maybe he's called Link because he's linked to Tank and the other guy? Uh, those are... Yeah, what happened to... Uh, is Tank... Because Tank was the one who didn't die, right? There was one of them lived... One of them, yeah, one of them lived unless he got killed at the end of the first one. No, no, he was he was still alive at the end, I'm sure. But it, it, seemingly he's died between movies because everything, every maybe time... His, they, maybe he died from his wounds. Every time they bring him up, it's like, oh no, he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> both Link and Do- or not Link, both Tank and Dozer yes. are dead. Yes. Um, And uh, Link's wife uh, is really worried about him because she's lost two brothers to that and he made this promise to like take their place or mm-hmm. something uh, and that's kind of the that uh, and his sister-in-law is uh zoe from firefly which hey nice but you know minor role 
Um, Maybe she comes back in the third one. Something a bit more. Well, I think there's more Zion in the third one because that's like, the big thing is them defending Zion. So I expect we will see maybe more of these Zion characters. But yeah, the first the first chunk of this is really pulled paced. It, it really felt to me. I, I don't want to say it's, it's like the, the Star Wars people's exactly, but in the way where no one was telling George Lucas no, and it was just like adding scenes and scenes of meetings and talking about what's going on and things like that. There's just a lot of that going on, and yeah. it never. And the first film is so well put together. The way it narratively like keeps building on what it's showing you and what it's teaching you. And honestly, the only thing that really feels like the first film is Neo. Everything else, it's like feels different. It doesn't mm. seem like it's part of the same world. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where I think the mystery of Zion, like hearing about it and not seeing it, was just more intriguing than actually seeing what it was. And that's not to say that. You couldn't expand it and show Zion and do things there, potentially. Yeah, I but... mean, it's still it's still interesting. Like you have to have, you have these people who have never been plugged in. Um, even when Neo is talking to the older cons- councilman, who's like saying like he slept the first eleven years of his life, made me go okay. So he was eleven when he got pulled out. He's clearly mm-hmm. much older than Neo, so he got pulled out in like the sixties. And does that mean like? he had to use like a wall phone and <laughs> i was trying to like think of how it worked like would it have still been the 1960s there would it still been like the 1990s i think still the, the 90s because because they talk about when when smith describes it in the first film it's like no it's just perpetually the end of the right 20th century yeah right so there's no advancements in technology it's just it's, everything just is frozen in the 90s well, as we find out later on, it's a cycle that keeps restarting. So maybe it does start a bit earlier. And I think we had this discussion in yeah. the first movie and stuff, but it got me thinking about it. Like, I don't know. I I, like, I don't hate all this stuff. I the rave scene is just like, like what are we watching? There's there's no <laughs> momentum. That that's the problem yeah. I have with it. There's there's nothing driving from scene to scene. It's it's mm-hmm. all talking about the one threat that's coming, but there's no motivation from one scene to the next that drives it is we're constantly just waiting for them to like get to the point <laughs> get to the point of what all this is um yeah it's and i think it's just it needs a bit a better focus and it's, there's nothing wrong with the themes that the movie's about like the theme of like the illusion of choice like saying oh the the actual existence of zion and the humans that are outside the matrix are actually just an extension of controlling the human race it's an interesting enough concept, like, in a way. I mean, don't get me wrong. It does devalue the end of the first film, so I'd still rather it didn't exist. But if you're going to do something, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad concept sure. to play with. Um, I just, sure, I, I, and you, like, literally meet God at the end of this film, too. And, in a sense, you know, God's yeah. whole thing, like, if he's all-knowing and the whole idea of, like, I, I guess it's sort of a repeat of the first film of, like, do you have a choice if everything is written out for you? If everything has been coded? Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I, I feel so little momentum in anything. I feel like I'm just waiting for each scene to play out to get to where the plot's going to kick into gear, where characters are going to be motivated to do the next thing. And instead, like, Neo is literally waiting for a phone call. He's waiting for the Oracle to phone him. And he's putting so much like stock and getting contacted by the Oracle to like have some sort of direction of what to do next that it just it feels like he has no uh, you know 
he has no direction of his own. He has he's no confidence to just do the right thing or do what he feels is right. It still feels like he's waiting to be told, which is one of the few things that he shouldn't feel like after the end of the first film. You know, the end of the first film, the whole point is, is that he doesn't need to be told his direction anymore. Right, like he's free, and now he's going to Superman his way to free other people. Yeah, and it's not just in the context of Neo, just in, in the context of any movie. If the first 40 minutes of a movie is someone waiting for a phone call so the plot can really begin, <laughs> that's a problem structurally. Sure, <laughs> From yeah. a pacing perspective. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and there is, again, one of the other interesting ideas, which could be the entire concept of a movie. The entire movie could have been, oh, what if an agent, like, well, I meant to let the agents don't take over people. Well, they, well, they kind of do in the first movie, but not in the same way that Smith in this movie, like, literally takes them and whatever. But the idea that an agent, like, beams down the phone into, like, a human's body and mm-hmm. then is there as an infiltrator on Zion. That is a really interesting concept. That is an interesting mm-hmm. idea that feels like a unique premise for another movie, the idea of the machines infiltrating our world, uh, or the yeah. real world, I should say our, because our world's not really like us, but, you know. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, I never thought about, like, why didn't the agents just take over Neo or Trinity or something when they saw them in the first movie, because they could take over anybody. Is there something special about being, like, taking the... Oh, this like is the, obvious. The red pill yeah. that makes you no, not I think be able I, no, to no, take it's, over. It's because they're not part of the Matrix anymore. They can take over anyone who's still hooked in, like in the traditional right. sense. Um, I, I think they can't take over anyone who's been freed and came back in through illicit means. Well, I mean, they've never said that, so I don't... I, don't, I guess that's just a rule that we can assume. I think it's pretty safe. It. Why wouldn't they just do that the first time this? Exactly, that, but that <laughs> that that thought crossed my mind watching this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I, that's I, what Agent Smith is trying to do is take over people who are free. Yeah, but he's not taking over in the same way that, that he's he's not using the Matrix to do it. He's like, he's no, like, he's got some black pudding. <laughs> uh, I mean, forget the visual effect. He's essentially hardwiring into it the person yeah. and you know taking over. Uh, now, why he's back? Why why he can be back? Something to do with him being linked to Neo, Christ and Antichrist it's, figure. It's, it's such trash. It's just a bunch of mumble jumble to try and justify because they wanted Hugo Weaving to be back. Um, I mean, I understand why you want him back because he's an iconic villain from the first movie, and how can you top that if you're going to go back in the Matrix? But it doesn't make enough sense, and it. It's not justified. Like he, sh- if you're going to make a trilogy of films, then Agent Smith was the first boss, and now you got to come up with new bosses. I don't disagree with that. <laughs> I don't disagree with that. But I, I, yeah, I, at principle, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think I have even more of a problem with like the audacity of just doing it and like thinking mm-hmm. you can get away with it with some mumbo jumbo. And then just turning it up by having 500 of them. Because obviously Neo can take on one. Like, he knows he can take on one now. So we'll just have more and more and more. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's so... And that's that's that that scene is garbage from the start. Like that entire fight scene, and it, it's really bad once the CG kicks in because not only are the faces like PS2 looking graphics, even like the part that really bothers me bizarrely is Neo's coat. Like, see when the camera's spinning around him and it's the CG version of Neo, and the coat just looks so like fake. Like it's just it's not there. It's a coat. Yeah. A coat should not be a tough visual effect to pull off. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> it's not like hair. <laughs> it's a cult. No, I, I agree. Um, I don't hate the fight in the beginning, but like once, once, as soon as he grabs that metal pole, like, and it just becomes completely CGI. I was like so ready for it to be over. Yeah, and he's like throwing them all up in the air, and they're just because I, I do, I do enjoy good choreography, like fight choreography, even if it's pointless. Like I, if it's done well, then I'll enjoy watching it. Um, you know, they put in a lot of work and it shows, and that I don't mind, but. Yeah, <laughs> once it, it becomes to, well, people aren't fighting anymore. It's just the it's just a cartoon. I don't enjoy I think, this anymore. I think it needs to have a purpose. No, it doesn't necessarily have to be a big plot purpose. Like uh, an example would be like some of Jackie Chan's films, where the fighting doesn't serve like a, there's not a lot of stakes to the fighting, but there's a lot of humor in the fighting. There's a lot of like witty beats to it, where it almost tells a little story in the fight itself with the oh, way sure, that yeah. someone's dodging or like you know using certain objects or stuff. This is not doing that. Yes, he does grab a pole at one point and starts using it as a weapon, but it's not... There's nothing really that inventive about what he does with it. In fact, the part I really hate is when he sort of puts the pole down and sort of, like, kicks around... Like, he's sort of holding on to it and, like, mm-hmm. spinning around it, kicking the, the smiths. Like, it looks like trash. It looks It really does, trash. yeah. It looks bad. I, I do chuckle also whenever he throws a smith at a bunch of other smiths. It's literally the sound of bowling pins being hit by a ball. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's pretty funny. Oh, dear. Because that's, that's the other thing. That comes right after the scene where he goes to see the Oracle, finally. And uh, and this is actually one of the things that is a genuinely interesting idea. The idea that the Oracle the whole time... And maybe you could theorize this in the first one. Maybe we even talked about it a little bit. But the idea that the Oracle is a machine or is a, a program. She is not... She's part of the Matrix. She's not part of the real world. Yeah. Um and she's programmed for the one to trust her for people to trust her but ultimately like who's she working for well well, that, that's where we get to, to later forget that from later i'm just mean from when the concepts introduced here in this scene right mm-hmm. uh, for, forget forget what this movie tells us about anything else just the idea that the oracle herself is not a human she is a machine that in theory is trying to help the humans for some reason right obviously the movie does get into like what she actually is and the purpose and all the rest of it later on but that idea on its own, I think, is really good. Like, mm-hmm. and like, okay, why? Because she's like the uh, she's like Clippy. She's just there to help humans if they, if they need assistance. That's a program. Uh, sure. Well, see, I don't like the idea. That, well, I'm not saying I hate this because the movie kind of does this. But I'm not saying I hate the idea. But I'm not saying I'm saying that she doesn't. The idea on its own does not necessarily mean that she has to be programmed to be what she is. I actually think it's more interesting if she is rebelled in some way, or if she is acting against her programming to help the humans because she's taking sympathy on them or something. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily better, or the idea that she did have a hand in, like, help, you know, as later later on she's called the mother of the Matrix. You know, if the architect's the father, she's the mother, right? That's the way it's phrased. Um, But. Yeah, although he says it's not her, but whatever. Yeah, maybe I, he was maybe he was scoffing at the the title of the oracle. Yeah, yeah, he does, he does. But um, but conceptually, that is an interesting idea, I think. Um, and this scene is okay. I think the dialogue's pretty bad, though. Um, I I do have a lot of problems with the way she keeps dancing around the questions and answering them with more questions, and. Like it comes again once again back to the whole idea of like setting up the, the illusion of choice and like 
oh, you've already made that choice. You just don't understand. You're here to find out why you made that choice. You don't understand yet, kind of thing. You know what part really confused me? It's relevant to the Oracle. Yes. Um, When Neo's about to go back into the Matrix to meet the Oracle, a guy, the guy who wants to come on board was like, oh, one of the orphans wanted me to give you this. And it's a metal spoon. So the kid that was in the Matrix is also an uh, one of the orphans in Zion? Like, is he just... Why Why was he in the Matrix then? Why, why would somebody plug in a kid into the Matrix so he can be with the Oracle and Bending Spoons? Um, why do you assume that he I, was, why why do you assume that he was unplugged before we saw him in the first film? Why why, why couldn't he have been unplugged for the maybe he was still in the Matrix at that point? He was just becoming aware of the Matrix before he was pulling out like uh like Neo. Did. Okay, so so you're saying that he was unplugged afterwards? Yeah, well, because... I mean they even have a line in the movie that says uh, in the last well, six months we have freed more minds in the last six years. So okay, okay, well. Maybe... No more confusion then. I mean, I'm not saying that. But I, I, it was definitely. confused by it. Like, I just thought, like, wait, so the, the that little kid is in Zion and not in the Matrix? Um, I'll be honest. I didn't think about this at all. I didn't care because all I could think was, oh, you referenced a spoon. Congratulations, movie. <laughs> you referenced the first movie. That, this, this has, like, some of the problems that nostalgia sequels do, but they have to, like, just keep referencing and... and because there's, there's, there's times and places where it works and it makes sense. You know, I, I said that, you know, Morpheus having to fight an agent's one of the few fights in the whole movie that actually has some tension in it because we know right, that he might yeah. not win. But one of the references that the movie actually does that I think works is that when he's kind of like, he's on top of the truck and it's a good location for a fight scene um, and they're, they're fighting out and he's getting his ass kicked a little bit. There's a moment where he sees his katana on the side of the, 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 the truck and he pulls it out and he comes up and he does the, you know, the just bring it hand gesture. And actually, it's a really good reference because it, and it's a good reference not because it's just like a hey, remember this from the first movie. It's because he's doing that to tell us that he is believing he has a chance. So it makes yeah. us want to root for him. It's actually telling us something about what he thinks right now. It's giving yeah. us a window into his mind. It's achieving something in the storytelling. The spoon here, like, yeah, okay, there's kids rooting for him, I guess, but like, I don't know what it achieves really. It doesn't really inform that much. Uh, most most of um, Neo's stuff here, where he's like, he looks like, oh god, all these poor people are trying to give me gifts. Oh, I just want to have sex with Trinity, and she, she, you know, now I have to like. They've got thirty six hours. Now I have to talk talk to all these brats and like bless their their the loved ones who are dying and the dollish Jesus shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, that, so I, I, actually. This feels like Zack Snyder watched this scene and based his entire I take on Superman. I definitely had some <laughs> major Zack Snyder parallels while watching this movie. With the Jesus Superman parallels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, t- t- does it bother you that Link actually references Superman at one point when Neo's flying around? Oh, yeah. and It didn't bother me, no. It's a bit weird. It's but about- it's, like, obvious. Like, that's what he is. He's- Flying around like Superman. Yeah, but it's a bit weird that they've got pop culture references. Like, d- d- is pop culture from the late, the late nineties in the Matrix? Like, <laughs> I guess it's a bit weird. It's a bit weird. They I- probably have some TV shows. Why not keep like the most classic, iconic pop culture figure? 
I'm not. I'm not saying like I hate it. I just it's a bit weird. It, it just it makes me feel a bit. I I do think think Link is used a little bit too often as the the cut to the one liner character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few, especially towards the end, where it's cutting back to him for just these one quick lines of his reaction, just so that or like, cheers. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> Joe. You know, you know is he's the uh, he's the canned laughter track from a sitcom. He he's there for the audience. <laughs> he we cut back to him so the audience knows how to feel. That's right. Yeah, that's kind of the. Sometimes it's contagious. Sometimes it works. He's not a bad actor. It's no, just... he's not a bad actor at all. It, it's just don't take this as critiquing uh, ha- Harold uh, Pinero, if I remember his name correctly, um, because he he is perfectly fine. It, it's it's more how the character's being used and how some of the lines are a bit over the top. In fact, the ones that really bugged me is there's a couple of times, and it happens twice in the movie, where Neo's flying towards like where the other characters are to save them, and like he'll say something like. Wait, what's that? Something's coming in. And I'm like, you've literally commented earlier that you could see him flying. You called it a Superman thing. So why mm-hmm. are you so confused now that something's coming in? And then towards the end of the movie, when he's flying even quicker than he ever has before to save Trinity, he's like, I don't know what that is, but it's, I've never seen anything move so fast. I'm like, do you think there's a possibility that the one being you know that goes into the that Matrix like Superman. Yeah, might be this thing you're seeing in the Matrix right now? Is that just a thought that's occurred to you? Maybe. <laughs> just, 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 I don't know. I, I, it, just, it, it comes to him yeah, going, yeah. wait, what's that coming in? Like, it's probably Neo. <laughs> it's, it's probably probably, probably yeah. Neo. Right. Okay. <laughs> very, very few things. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I, I do like the idea. I, I almost wish they set it up earlier in the movie or maybe if, if it had been mentioned in the first one, if they'd like thought of this ahead, but, Setting up the idea that the freeway is a very dangerous place to go, uh, mainly because there's so many people driving around that, like, an agent could be. It's easy for agents yeah. to like, yeah, skip around. Yeah, like even even if in the first film when like Morpheus is like setting up the rules, if he said like, oh, there's certain areas you should avoid because of like you know all the people, and maybe he could list a few examples like you know a sports game, the freeway, you know maybe a few different examples. So then this one when they bring no, up the going f- to Disneyland, yeah, the way to Disneyland. So in this one, when he, when they say we're going, we have to go to the freeway, like Trinity's reaction to it played well enough. Don't get me wrong; it's, it's not like it needs to set up. But, yeah, you uh, said that was suicide. Well, let's hope I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, yeah, that sequence is a standout, and it's not. And I don't think all of it's great. Like I think some people really love that freeway sequence, and some of it's a little too. I CG. do. I'll, I'll I'll stick up for for it. There's. I mean, there's a lot of this film where they add, like, they don't really have a lot of bullet time with the exception of like the prophecy scene, but they have a lot of slow-mo, mm-hmm. like much more than the first one. Uh, maybe they just had better cameras or whatever, so they wanted to utilize that more, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's okay. It just, it gets over, overdone a bit and it, it's used in the freeway scenes and I don't love it each time, but like. For the most part, like with the exception of some of like the people jumping on cars that looks very cartoony, every I I enjoy basically the whole freeway scene. There's some distance stunts. I I you know I, I'm not a big fan of most of the slow motion in this movie because I I think they do rely on CG too much for it, and it feels like I say a little bit parody esque of the first film. But I will say I do like the way the camera kind of spins around and goes under the uh, overpass at, just before the mm-hmm. fight on top of the truck takes place because it ends up you know morpheus is there he's protecting the key maker 
and the agents there, the way the camera kind of spins around, and obviously they're CG at the start of the shot, but then it does this sort of quick kind of transition at the end to go into them when they start fighting. That I think is because it's timed with their their first sort of punches, it does actually look quite good the way it kind of transitions into it. So I'll mm-hmm. give that there's some good motion there to like go with the the flow of the scene, which I'll I'll give some credit to. Um, yeah, and Trinity on the bike is like really good white knuckle intense scene because you can't like she can't like go to the side because then she's then the 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 agents can just catch up to her and then she can't go to the other side because then they can you know go straight down the opposite direction of the freeway and they can shoot at her so she has to like weave in and out through opposite traffic (laughs) like that's a those are you know really good scenes and i think one of the things that someone might say because I'm saying that, you know, Morpheus and Trinity can actually be in jeopardy, is that they're going to throw something at me, which is, well, you like Superman, and you think Superman's stories can function, even though he's, like, you know, so indestructible, and that is very true. And and essentially, this movie falls into the trap of not knowing what to do with a Superman-esque character. I don't think they do know what to do with him. So they endanger Lois Lane instead. Uh... Well, that's often done, but that's not the, the point I'm getting at, is that good writers do do good stories with Superman. They, they find ways to to make things have stakes and get, give him something that isn't a physical threat or get, give him something. Yeah, maybe it is saving someone. Maybe it's saving a whole city. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Maybe it's pu- pushing him into a corner where he has to make a tough choice. Maybe it's mm-hmm. a number of different things. Or you give him a villain that actually can go toe-to-toe. Um, like, I mean, maybe it's just much of a simple idea. Maybe like, yeah, what if, like, they put a bunch of super programs together to try and make the ultimate program that maybe Neo would have a hard time fighting or something? I don't know. Um, which is kind of why I like the idea of, like, an agent somehow infiltrating the real world and going after him where he doesn't have any superpowers is a very interesting idea that maybe... Like I said, that could be the premise of a whole movie. The funny thing is, is, in this movie, the guy has, like, one scene where he's cutting his hand because he's like, what well, he wants to see what it's like to bleed. And then... I should just say Human Smith, I guess. And then Human Smith... You know, other than that, like he just he pops up for the cliffhanger at the he's end. He's set up for the next yeah. film. He's more set up for the That's... next film than this one. But yeah. like that concept could be a whole movie on its own. Mm-hmm. But and maybe it is. Maybe it's in the next movie. I don't really remember. No, it's not the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be too I don't know, maybe it's the setup. Nah. I definitely remember him fighting Smith in the Matrix in the rain though, so that's that's probably the big ending. If I remember. Well, I do think that you you, sh- you should have these characters in jeopardy and that should be something that you, you use to create tension in certain scenes. These are characters that are predetermined as action characters, though, who we saw fighting, we saw in combat, we saw doing stuff in the first movie. And if anything, Morpheus was a little underused in the first movie from that respect because he got captured and, you know, that was, like, kind of early in his plot, relatively speaking, and... He spent a lot of time tied up, and we didn't get to see Morpheus in full action mode where he was just taking on bad guys. Now, admittedly, I'm not a big fan of the twins as villains in this for them to fight. Uh, Millie Vanilli? They were cool in the poster. They just kind of feel a little bit try-hard to me, which I think goes for a lot of the designs of the new characters in this film. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of how I feel. This is the thing, when they go to when Neo goes to Oracle, he, he's it's, it's just, it's a video game. It's like Hey, you have to go find the the the, the keymaker, which he, you'll find him at this guy's place, and this this leads them to the French or the wannabe French dude, who 
just monologues for like 10 minutes and then gives some cake to a woman that gives her an orgasm uh credit where credit is due for the visual of the explosion of the matrix code in her crotch <laughs> just to just to represent said orgasm i completely forgot about this i completely forgot about this scene this yeah me too this reminded me there was a movie we did on screams a couple of years ago i think it was called the black room or the black door but it was about like a sex demon who like possesses this guy and he does kind of the same thing where he doesn't use cake but he just kind of makes someone randomly have an orgasm in a restaurant uh and it's like a whole thing. And it just it makes me it makes me think of that. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is like a, a genre of scene now. All right, thanks for that. Yeah, Merovingian is that his name? The Merovingian. That, sound. that sounds right. Yeah, I don't that sounds ca- right. I don't really care because he's not that good. Um, I mean, he's he's intriguing because he's clearly like he he's one of the more interesting characters that we meet because he's he's like an NPC but he's got like this other he's programmed to want pleasures like the pleasures of the matrix and he has like a personality and it's it's not like it's not like an agent you know we we meet somebody who is designed by the matrix or it maybe is a designer of the matrix it's it's hard to really know what they are. Yeah, I wouldn't say NPC. Uh, I mean, they, they use the word program. So the, the idea of the keymaker as well has a purpose. So there's, there's programs right. who exist as people in the Matrix is essentially the, the idea. Um, he also... Yeah. He, well, he is a programmer, right? Because he's programmed the cake to be able to give um, a human an orgasm. So like, he has these abilities and he loves the the pleasurable things in life. Sure. He also gives us the first hint of the, the stuff at the end because he, he refers to the predecessors when yeah. he's talking to neo which is kind of a hint um I, but this, this this entire section though kind of like solidifies everything that's wrong with this movie to me in terms of mm-hmm. compare it to the first in terms of like pacing narrative structure and like scenes themselves feeling like they have a purpose like so many scenes in this movie are about waiting to find out where they have to go going there then sitting down and talking to someone and then that leading to the next breadcrumb if you look back at the first movie like think about those early scenes in your mind, right? Or even all the way through the movie where it was, okay, so Neo gets this hint of something. He goes to pursue this hint of the tattoo, which leads to Trinity. Mm-hmm. He wants to know what Morpheus is. He wants to know what the Matrix is. There's a question. There's constantly these questions being asked that are interesting. Um, mm-hmm. He wants to be a part of that. He he ends up being chased by agents around the office. Um, the scene has a purpose because it shows that he's still t- too scared to kind of like make the leap of faith, as it were um all those things and it, it keeps driving things forward and it keeps causing reactions and in, in like a new direction but the goal is ultimately kind of the, the same and it, it feels like there's a there's a narrative through line of what the where the journey's always heading whereas here is a video game quetch fetch quest where it's just like this thing leads to this thing which leads to this thing which leads to a magic door which leads to the meeting that he was destined to have at the end of the movie but there's no actual character journey from Neo in this movie. There's no arc. And I guess it's a two-part story, so maybe you could forgive it somewhat, but I don't even know if it sets up an interesting enough arc that could be half of an arc. Like, what what is Neo... I mean, he learns about some true things about the Matrix, but what, what does Neo learn about himself in this movie? What Does he... I mean, maybe if it emphasised the, the idea that would he be willing to, like, sacrifice everyone or whatever to save trinity or something like that maybe there'd be something there right well i mean i think that's that's the like the main thing for him is that we like we learn that he is not special 
But then maybe he is because everybody before chooses to save Sion, but he chooses love. Like maybe Trinity is like the the thing that makes him special this time because he has love. Because that was sort of the thing in the first movie, right? Where like it was the, the bond between them, which is why he was special. Yeah, but that doesn't that doesn't answer the question of what's the arc. That's not an arc, though. That's just... He's already in love with no, Trinity it's at the just, start. <laughs> I mean, we're just learning more about yeah. the world and that it's... And it's history and that maybe... Maybe they're not as in control as they think they are. Maybe they're not free after all. But then Neo still is able to one-up them the, somehow. This, this is the, the fundamental problem with this as a sequel, though, to The Matrix, is that Neo doesn't have an arc in this film because he can. He completed his arc. So... There's nothing in him that in this film specifically driving him, and he comes across as very kind of like, eh, I don't know what to do. Like the whole movie, he's just kind of there. He's told where he's, he goes, where he's told to. He wants to go get the answers, but there's not there's not really like a drive or like a proper struggle from within of like, oh, this is how he he needs to learn to be a leader, or this is how he's going to learn how to, uh, like. I don't know, whatever. But it's not there. Like, the whole film, he's very passive. He's a very passive character. And the whole arc of the first film is that you have someone who has the potential to be someone special and realizes they're, they're special. There's, like a, there's yeah. a clear arc that's really solid. And that's, fundamentally, what makes a good story is an arc. Learning more right. mythology about the world is fine and all, if it's good. And some of it arguably is good, some of it isn't. But... Ultimately, even if it's all good, it's not necessarily enough to actually build a movie around. It's not a story. Uh, well, song. I mean, it's it's only half of one. So, I mean, hopefully the third movie will will give us an arc for some for some of them. But, you know, I, I really don't remember. So I don't know. Yeah, but I don't care. I don't, even if the third one's a 10, I don't care. This one's still shit. <laughs> this, one, this one was still <laughs> tedious to watch. It was still boring the entire time because there's no direction for anything. It's just waiting for MacGuffins and going for MacGuffins. Like, there's there's no... There's no heart to it, really. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't... Like we can see... I mean, I, I mean, the third one, I'm pretty sure, is worse than this one. So I I, I don't think uh, hope holding out hope that it's going to justify this one retroactively is really that, like, worth thinking about anyway. But... Even if it is. Well, for the people who are watching the trilogy for the first time and listening to our reviews, as you said, but, but maybe even, there's hope. But even if it is a 10 out of 10, like, this, this, this would still be like a terrible middle entry because it just, it feels like it's spinning its wheels. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's almost like there, there is enough ideas throughout this film to make me think there is enough for like a two and a three. But the way it's actually presented, it does feel like this is just killing time, this movie. It feels like it's dragging out like the first act of something before the the real story mostly happens in the second one or the third one in this case but mm-hmm. um it, it you know so if it's not satisfying if it's not a satisfying chapter on its own that's a critique i don't think you can give it some sort of pass because oh it's technically only half of the story like yeah but it can still have good cliffhanger it can still have you know the enough of a story that we like no, no one came out of Infinity War going. Well, you know, uh, hopefully it'll be good once we have both halves of it. But you know, that first half was you know a little unfulfilling. No, people were like, no, that 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 was a, a movie about tragedy that was building to this thing where they were going to fail, right? I mean, male spoilers, mm-hmm. I guess, but I mean, 
kind of the biggest thing on the planet in the last few years. Yeah. <laughs> so people know. Same with the last Jedi. Um. Sure. Yes. Um. The movie was about failure. Yeah. Um. But the the, the point is here is that I, I don't even think this movie like the movie obviously is about the decision that Neo makes at the end, but there's not really an arc like literally all the movie does is talk about making a choice up until that point but that's not enough to actually build a story out of well i mean it's still like you know the, the people at zion are, are treating him like so you know when he walks into that room and everybody wants them to bless their baby or whatever and so they're still treating him as like you are our savior and then in the end he chooses love over being a savior I mean, that's really the only thing that he goes through. Yeah, that's somewhat true. I I, I do think there's the idea of hope, though, that because you know, the architect uh, tells him. Like, I guess we're talking about this scene now, right? Because we keep going to it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but the architect tells him that if he doesn't choose to, like, you'll know, pick twenty five people, whatever it is, to like start building a new Zion because we're starting the cycle again then everyone in the Matrix, everyone who's still connected will be killed. And Zion will be killed as well, because we're going to destroy it, because we know how to do that. And humanity will cease to exist. And yeah, we need you to survive at our current standings, but we can survive in a much worse and smaller way <laughs> without humans. So we'll take that out of spite, basically. And he makes this choice. And I, I do think there's kind of a hopeful idea that he has, oh wait, this is like another 24 hours. You're telling me that if I do make this choice of love, I have 24 hours to just win and just like save everyone. So I do think, well, it is love, but I think it's love and hope and the belief that they can win properly. They don't have to do this compromise. They don't have to do this, mm-hmm. um, you know. But it sounds like all the other Neos in the past have chosen to save Zion by starting over. Oh, yeah, they clearly all have, yeah. He's the first yeah. one to break the, the cycle, which is... So it's kind of this weird thing where he's not as special as we thought because it's kind of like programmed into it that there's going to be a one. But he is kind of special though because he's the first one to actually make this choice and kind of rebel against the system. Which I mm-hmm. think, you know, the idea that eventually, like, if, if they build in this... Because much like... Because one of the most interesting things Smith said about the Matrix in the first film was that, oh, we, the first version of the Matrix was this perfect utopia. But everyone rejected it because we, you're all used to having a certain level of misery. So... <laughs> you know, this idea that, yeah, 1% of people, as the architect puts it, will rebel against the Matrix and that will form all the people who leave it and that will be Zion and all these people who sort of try to invade and, like, fight us and all that. So, yeah, but they can handle it. Yeah, you know? we'll, we'll manage that. <laughs> we'll sort of build in this idea of the one. But the purpose of the one is to really sort of end the cycle and start the new one by making this deal. Yeah, it's and, just a reboot. Yeah. So even <laughs> even though the one, the idea of the one is an idea of control... Um, and obviously, there's themes there. There's ideas there of even when you feel like you have, you know, if you if you like the idea that you're still in the system, even if you feel like you've got success. So let's say you you get the good job and you do all these things and you catch the big fish, make a lot of money. You catch the big <laughs> fish, like as the guy in uh, Birdemic says. Um, like even at that point, you're still part of the system. You may be high up in the system. You may have some success, but ultimately, you're still in the system and you can't really escape it. Um, there's themes there but all of this is so muddy like everything in the first movie all fit together everything felt like it was a unified message and a point in the themes of the film all worked concurrently together 
and they all it reinforced each other, they all enriched each other. This film was like, okay, you've got the idea of illusion of choice and the, the control and the idea of being still in the system that was holding you down in the first place, which is annoying because it just kind of devalues the end of the first movie and ultimately I'd rather just forget these two exist and just the first movie's the end of the story and that's it. Maybe the fourth one will be a 10 out of 10 so, and we'll be glad that these movies exist. Who knows? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Even if the fourth one's a 10, this this one still sucks. There's, there's no retroactively making this okay. This movie okay, is bad. Fine. This movie is just playing bad. And I get that you want to be positive. I, I, I get that, but nothing, like, this movie is dull. The The pacing is horrible. The narrative structure has no momentum. The messaging is, like, thin at best, which is particularly stands out because the first film like every single scene, yeah. we spoke about how every single scene builds the messages and builds the themes and reinforces those themes consistently, and every scene feels like it adds to it. This one, yeah, you're waiting around, and then they'll just sort of monologue the idea at you a little bit, and then it'll be and then a fight. Yeah, like I, I hate the fight in the uh, like see, see at the so Monica Bellucci, who's with the the French dude, uh, she agrees to help them, but only if Neil will kiss her, like he's in love with her. Uh, which of course Trinity wants to shoot in the face for. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. But Neo was like, "All right, I'll do it." <laughs> um, I don't really understand her character of um, Persephone. Like, um, I I don't really understand her her point. Like, she's she's there with um Mer- the Merovingian, remembered, and he's like, they're they're like some sort of partners, uh, or uh, yeah lovers or whatever and i assume it's a programming thing like they complement each other for what they're in the, their purpose in the matrix is but i don't really know exactly what her role is in the movie other than like she really believes in love and loves to feel love I, 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 otherwise i don't really know what she is i don't have an answer for you because she's a thin character yeah. Yeah, this is this is the thing. You you come at this from uh, this, I'm not critiquing you here, right? I, I guess I kind of am, but in a positive way. Like you came at that assuming that you don't understand something, and you're hoping that I'm going to tell you this is what it is, and I'm telling you no. This is not well, your fault. This is the movie's fault. I was fault. hoping we'd have some like back and forth <laughs> and maybe figure it out together, but there's nothing to figure out. This is the movie okay, not being okay. good. <laughs> It's just that, you know, the first time I saw this movie, I was so intrigued by like yeah. Merovingian and by her because there were these, these different things in the matrix. Like they, they're kind of like these little demigods that walk among us. So they have interesting personalities or they have an interesting purpose, but I don't really understand Persephone's is all other than Monica Bellucci is like a mega hot. So that's. I- put her in a tight dress <laughs> I, I don't have an answer for it I, I, I really don't think that I, I think the movie is so thinly written with these new characters I think obviously Niobe gets a little bit of time because she's meant to be this kind of love interest for Morpheus and she has the, the one moment where she comes in and sort of like saves the day and is there to help out later in the film but she's not really yeah. got that much to do and everyone else is there to be a red shirt everyone else is there just so we can have a high body count and and people can die but what no, was, I did like that scene was, where we where they blow up the ship though, and we see them in the Matrix just kind of fall at their station. <laughs> oh yeah, super dangerous. 
Oh sure, people well, can just die, be well, deleted. Well, I was getting to the the the, the, the French dude, but I don't care what his name is. I really don't give a shit. Um, he's gonna come back, so I don't I don't care. He's terrible. I don't. <laughs> I hate the character, <laughs> but I hate the fight scene. I I hate the fight scene that takes place uh, after all this, where Monica Bellucci helps him. Um, it's just fluff. It, it has no like we've introduced these twins just so we have got some villains to have an action scene against. That's all the reason they exist, right? They're there. Like as much as as much as some of this scene is good, right? As much as some of the fighting with Morpheus is good because of what it does for Morpheus's character. All of this just exists artificially so that this movie has a big climactic action scene. It's not even at the end. But well, it's, it's, it's there to separate Neo from everybody else. Because everyone else gets put in danger because Neo can't get to them. Because the, the key maker disappears. He goes through a door. And once that door closes, the portal is closed. And? So so what? what, what so but, Neo is like no, on the no, other but, side of the world no, or whatever. I, I, I get that, but why do you even need to... Like, all of this is artificial. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. It just makes it so that they're in danger and he can't get to them. No, I, I get that part, and that's what makes the Morpheus stuff and the Trinity stuff work in the context of the scene itself. Yeah. But this actual action scene in the context of the film doesn't really need to exist, right? Uh, the action scene that Neo's fighting all the guys at the stairways. Like I hate that scene. It's just nothing but fluffy martial arts for the sake of fluffy martial arts. I don't hate it. Like it's it's mostly not CGI. So, like, at least the martial arts is fun to watch. I don't think it's that fun, though. I think it's boring because there's, there's no... There's nothing inventive about it. It's just kind of typical movie martial arts. And it's just... There's no stakes because Neil's clearly going to win. There's, there's, he's not going to do anything. Well, they got weapons this time. Oh, yeah. One um, that makes him bleed. Anyway. But no, the point I'm making, though... Uh, well, the new point I'm making, because you, 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 you said uh, the, the purpose of this is to separate Neil. Yeah, the purpose of separating Neil is to like give us you know the chance to feel uh vulnerability for for morpheus and, and trinity but what is the purpose of like what well, i get essentially what i'm saying is is that morpheus or sorry neo going to speak to the architect could literally be the opening scene of the movie because everything that happens before that point in the movie, because Neo does has no character arc before he gets there, other than a lot of like mumbo jumbo about the you know the choice and the illusion of choice, all of it is just a bunch of MacGuffins to get to that point in the story. So every single action scene that takes place in this film is just there to be a like a pit stop as a movie because it's a blockbuster action movie to get there. So well most of the best stuff in the movie takes place in this big car chase, right? And I agree with that, particularly the Morpheus mm-hmm. stuff on top of the truck. Ultimately, none of it really matters because none of it really actually advances any real story. Um, and someone's going to say, but it's there to get the keymaker. Well, yeah, we only need the keymaker, though, because the, the the script decided to be the keymaker to get to a door that leads to the, the conversation, that the, the which is the only really important scene in the whole movie, is the conversation that he has with the architect. <laughs> Everything... To, on some level before that you could cow most of it <laughs> and it would be fine yeah i don't i don't disagree with that i know it's just it's the how do we get more action scenes with neo in the film but, i mean that, that's what's so frustrating about though is the first movie doesn't need to do that because no, no like because when you got they also i mean they worked on the script for like five years although this movie was like four years after the first one yeah so they, they had did, some time but they did both at the same time if you if i want to play devil's advocate but sure. I, I i don't i don't care though like 
the, the, the first movie, not even just the first Matrix movie, any good movie, any good movie that has action in it, like, mm. the action is always there to serve the story first, not the other way around. And at least if you do have a movie that's just served action first, then it, it could be fun schlock or whatever. This movie does not want to work as fun schlock in any way, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> for uh, numerous reasons, which I won't even get into, but it clearly doesn't. And this entire thing, which is, oh, we have to go see this French dude so we can get the key maker, which is going to lead to these two action sequences, uh, which, you know, the... the uh, like all of it is just it's just artificial things it's artificial obstacles and i know someone some smart ass is going to say well every doesn't every story just a series of artificial obstacles to get to like what the end point is and yeah brass tacks that is true on some level but you don't notice it or you don't feel that way when you're watching the movie or reading the story because you have characters who are constantly growing and changing and reacting mm-hmm. and did Newt have to go back into the water inside? And did she have to go back to get her? Like, that's all made up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, no, it is all made up. It absolutely is all made up. But the difference is, is that Ripley making that choice to go back feels like a mm-hmm. big deal because she makes yeah. the choice not to be scared that she's going to go save someone and you root for her because of that. Um, mm-hmm. Like, everything in this movie... Right, with the exception of maybe the stuff in Zion, which is like the machines are coming to kill us, which I guess is slightly different. But everything with Neo, everything inside the Matrix itself, which is about getting to that meeting with the architect, everything is just made up MacGuffin, made up like adventure you have to go on to get the MacGuffin, um, and that's all it is. Mm-hmm. And that is so monumentally disappointing after how tight the story and the script was for the first film. It's it's actually kind of it's baffling to me that the same people who wrote the first one wrote this yeah yeah i i understand that um and I, again i i really I, I sort of wish that instead of it was a prophecy that that trinity was going to die that it was just neo worrying about Tr- trinity and her safety because he's in love with her and she's constantly in danger it's just giving him also like the power of sight <laughs> like the like the oracle um adds another layer of confusion as to what neo is outside of the matrix um and then we get another one of those at the very end where Um, he's actually able to control machines outside of the matrix the sentinels yeah um i don't think this is that confusing actually this makes some sense to me what once you once you find out from the architect that the one is actually something that is intentional that is connected to the the, the the matrix and therefore i just presume by extension the machine network it makes sense at this point that he can sense the machines and stop them the same way that he stops things in the matrix i, I do under, i mean i'm not saying i like it but on a fundamental level i kind of get what it's doing here so like the first time i watched it i remember thinking that are they trying to tease that that Zion is just another layer of the Matrix? Like, he's not really out of it? Uh, I never thought that, no. No? <laughs> no. Okay. No. I'm not saying it's dumb, I just never, it never occurred to me that that, that was even a... I, I think that would have gotten really silly if we'd started doing layers of, of Matrix. <laughs> yeah. That, that would have, I think that would have just, like, really made the whole thing really messy. Yeah, it would have made it, like, Inception, that's... Not where you want to go. <laughs> How dare you. Inception is a much better movie than this. So don't even start. <laughs> yeah. Maybe about on par. 
Oh my god, shut up. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. Um, <laughs> I, I, fundamentally, like, everything that's wrong... Because it was one thing to like, make fun of the CG and the action scene is not being as inventive and just feeling like they're almost like like a self-parody uh, of the scenes in the first film and don't really feel like they're breaking ground and that they're, they're being self-indulgent with how over-the-top they are and all that stuff. You can, I mean, we can talk about all that, but that would be like a separate thing that wouldn't completely break the movie if the writing and the story were... Not even as good as the first one, just like, you know, competent. <laughs> and the sad part is, is that it's such a mess in terms of uh, driving the story forward and like building like a narrative to actually care about that every like nothing can fix it. Like even if all these other things were, let's say the action scenes were great and the CG was great and at least from a popcorn perspective, it was like a spectacle to look at. Um. I would still say this movie was bad. I would still be sitting here telling you it's a bad movie. Um, and I, I don't think the... I don't think if the action scenes were good, it, the, the movie has the right tone to be a schlocky good time. It's just like a mm -hmm. dumb action movie. Because it's trying so desperately to be, you know, pretentious. <laughs> like, it really wants to be, like, heady and, like, poke at big ideas. And the first film didn't have to try. The first film just was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah I... one thing I do really love about this film mm -hmm. is that the very last song that plays during the end credits is a remix of the Dave Matthews band When the World Ends which is a really good song <laughs> I really like that the remix of it I never waited to the end of the credits I turned it off <laughs> well there's like three songs that play and it's the very last one so if I you stick around mm. it's there and I really enjoyed it so, yeah, the, I was a big fan at that time when yeah, it came out. <laughs> yeah, I don't even really touched upon everything the architect gets into, to be honest. I feel like there was a lot more in that scene that we've probably <laughs> glossed over. Cause... I mean, yeah, he says a lot. Um, another great thing about this is, I know you're not a Will Ferrell fan, but the MTV Movie Awards kind of parodied this architect scene with Will Ferrell as the architect, just saying vis-a-vis... <laughs> ergo vis-a-vis -vis over and over again and it was pretty funny i'll take your word i think for sean it. william scott was supposed to be the neo character i'll take your word for it no you won't i'm gonna send you the video i'm not, I'm not gonna watch it <laughs> why not you could try but I'm it's not gonna making watch fun it. of this movie I, I don't care my dislike of will ferrell is that strong i'm not doing it um we'll see about that <laughs> Yeah, I have to say, like, I remember not liking this or the third one, but watching this again makes me actively, like, worry about the fourth one. Like, best case scenario, it's not a mess. Like, that, that's how I feel right now with Matrix 4. Yeah. Plus, I mean, the Wachowskis, they did not, they don't have a good track record since their one masterpiece. And, no. you know, I, watching the the Matrix again really made me, like, kind of excited to watch other Wachowski films just because it, I just forgot how perfect that movie is. But then you watch this one. <laughs> but then you watch this one and you're like, this feels more familiar. Like, this feels yeah. like the recent Wachowski stuff. It feels... And not that I've seen a lot of their films, but the ones that I have watched are very much just like this. Not only does every scene in the, the first film feel dense with, you know, its themes and its, 
what it's doing and the, the design of the world, the design of how everything looks and all the rest of it. Um, this one, like, I would say also feels a little too glossy. Uh, almost like, yeah, like ha- having an even bigger budget. It's missing that, that green filter. <laughs> what are you talking about? The green filter that was in whenever you went into the Matrix. Things got very green. It's not in this one. It was more green originally. They changed it when they remastered it recently. Well, you said it was blue originally, and then they added the green. No, 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 no. The first film was blue originally, and they added the green. Yeah. Two and three were always green in the Matrix when they first came out. Mm, okay. So it doesn't look like it. It looks doesn't look as gritty. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think that I think I think they've they've toned it down though, because I think because they remastered it a few years ago when they did the four K scans. I think they recolored it, and I think they they neutered it down a little bit for whatever reason. Um, the the end of the movie, for the record, after they they come out, uh, I was actually I was probably mentioned that. Trinity makes the choice to go in because, uh, you know, one of the teams that are helping uh, pull off this, because there's a whole convoluted thing where to get into this magical door that leads to the architect, the power grid has to be taken down so he can go into the door and all the rest of it. So there's like two other teams of like, you know, uh, Matrix crews hitting power plants and whatever. And the, the entire team dies at one of them. So that's why Trinity like goes in, even though she promised not to go out of the Matrix uh, which leads to the, the the agent fight, which leads to Neo making the choice to go and save her instead, and he's flying so fast that all the cars around him are like getting caught up in the blast on and the, the mm-hmm. you know the the whirlwind the whirlwind yeah, um and he catches she dies anyway and then he brings her back to life by sticking his hand into her body and like restarting her heart literally with his hand, but in Matrix code sort of like magic style, mm-hmm. um and. I, I get the point that it mirrors the first movie because he kind of died and she brought him back by you know telling telling that he loved her. But um, I just, I mean, I especially hated that she kind of pointed it out by saying, "I guess we're even now." I'm like, "Oh my god, shut yeah. up!" <laughs> don't, don't, I mean, I don't yeah, we really, got it. I don't like that you're going this literal with like having it flipped and having her die and come back. But I especially hate her saying it. <laughs> yeah, I especially. Do you think that, that there wasn't? any bullet time in this movie because it was parodied so much that they just switched to slow motion instead yeah maybe they just couldn't go back to that the funny thing is though is that it still feels like they're just while it's a little different because there's no bullet time it still feels like they're still doing a lot of slow motion because of bullet time in the first one you know like it still feels like they're adhering to what people expect of a matrix movie even though there's no literal bullets wasn't around for the most part yeah so i don't think they achieved be feeling different <laughs> i still felt like it was doing the same thing just not as good <laughs> because it looked worse yeah just curious uh the cliffhanger of the film is neo's actually in a coma after after he after he you know stops the sentinels from attacking them the ship blows up he stops the sentinels with his hand and then he collapses and the cliffhanger is is that in one of the first outposts where they, they tried to fight the machines, the Sentinels can down at Zion, a bunch of the ships got sabotaged and were destroyed. And obviously we immediately go, it's probably Human Smith, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Human Smith's behind this. But the final cliffhanger is that Human Smith is the lone survivor of all these ships and he's like sitting on the table, like right next to Neo. And it comes up saying, to be concluded. And then all I could hear was, 
I think every to be concluded or to be continued should have the the Back to the Future font and that music playing because it just it makes it better. I you won't find me pleasing Family Guy a lot, but I'll I'll give Family Guy credit when they did their I think it was the Star Wars like parodies they they did the Back to the Future thing. I haven't watched those yeah. Um, it made me laugh. It was a good joke. Just just use it in everything. It's fine. Get 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 get. get, get. I love the idea of getting to the end of Friday the Thirteenth Part like six, and it's been like, dan 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 dan. Um, a lot of the clips are funny, isolated on yes. their own, but as a whole, the I shows concur. are nauseating. <laughs> I concur. Um, yeah. So, Matrix Reloaded. I I know there's people who actually do kind of defend this one and think that you know they think the third one is bad, uh, you know revolutions or revelations whatever it's called I can't I always forget the title of the third one. <laughs> I actually don't remember. Either. Yeah, but there, those there are, both sound right. <laughs> there are people who defend this one a little bit and do think it's got some interesting ideas. Um, I think that as a as a momentum exercise, and I think momentum is is one of the most important things in a movie that doesn't get talked about a lot. And I, I bring it up when it's not right, because it does feel mm-hmm. poor. And watching this so close to watching the first one again, when I hadn't seen the first one in a long time, obviously seen the first one more than this, because it's just a great movie. But watching it so close, and sort of rediscovering them both, like so close together, like, this is yeah. genuinely a worse movie than I remember, and I have way more problems than I ever did before. It does feel like the difference between watching A New Hope and The Phantom Menace. I, I think it's a fair comparison. I, I think it's a, like, yeah, like the old council guy, he's, he's like the Jedi Council like scenes where they're just sitting around talking about what to do. Or Yeah. Um, it's like, we're just going to play in the sandbox and expand this universe. And, you know, the fans are going to take what they can from it. But it's never going to be the masterpiece of the first one. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything that correlates exactly with midichlorines, but there's definitely a loss of some of the mystique of some of the, the elements uh, from the first film. I don't know if any of, it, any of it quite ranks up with, hey, there's literally midichlorines that can, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I Yeah. Plus, it's just a, it's just a downer. Like, one of, my, one, of my, one of my least favorite things about sequels that weren't planned is that they often have to kind of ruin the end of the first film to justify why a story can happen. Not not in every yeah. case, but there's a lot of sequels that they'll kind of wreck on the ending or very quickly put the main character back Alien in a bad 3. place. <laughs> Alien Three is a good example. Yeah, uh, even uh, Terminator Dark Fate. Yeah, that way. You know, they often have to like, oh, we have to make sure because we haven't thought of a good new story for the character from the first one. Because that's the good thing about aliens, right? Is that it, it takes Ripley and says, "Okay, she's got PTSD from the trauma of what she went through. Let's make a movie about her, like finding her strength and truly overcoming that that trauma. That that is like I know it's simple, but that is the fundamental thing that drives that movie, and it's what makes it feel oh, totally. different because it's not just the same journey as the first time. Uh, but so many movies, they have to like, oh, we have to go back to the status quo somehow. So we have to either kind of like quickly retcon or." make something bad happen to them just so they go back to what they were before and then tell the same story again. 
And yeah. I think what's so sad about this is that it basically builds up to a reveal. And it's, I mean, it already kind of d- diminishes a little bit the, the, the mystique of the ending. But it's the, the big reveal with the architect. That scene reveals that, oh yeah, you didn't really break out of the system and become special and be- become in full control of who you are. You just thought you did. Like, that's We're what always expecting you most, to do that. Yeah. Most sequels do that, and it's still bad, but most sequels do that at the start of the sequel. This movie builds up to that reveal at the end. So mm-hmm. you have this dull movie with MacGuffin to MacGuffin to MacGuffin, and then at the end, oh, by the way, the, the end of the first one was not what you thought it was. We've just completely ruined it. So there you go. What a shame. I know. I know, I know you're sick of me rabbiting on, but I, I do... I do think this is a special kind of bland follow-up. Uh... Yeah, it 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 definitely feels like we want to make something cool again and not something important again. Yeah, it says we want to make a Matrix sequel as quickly as possible, but we don't actually have a good story. I mean, that's, the sad part is, is there's the fragments of a good story kind of in there. You know, we talked sure, about a few yeah. good ideas, but they're just not developed enough and as tight. To, you know, to, to even be half as good as the first one, never mind what this is, which is... <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I genuinely think, you know, a couple of small moments aside, I think this is so tedious to sit through. Like, I, I never want to watch it again, and I, I do think that it is almost Star Wars prequel bad. I think that those comparisons are, are very apt uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. It's... You know, there's a few better qualities in some ways. You know, some of the ideas we've mentioned, but for the most part, I think those comparisons are completely fair. Yeah, the freeway scene is just the pod race scene. It's like, I mean, I don't really remember the pod race scene to know if I agree with the sentiment, but given what other but people say about will it, eventually, yeah. But given what other people say about the pod race scene, I I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's a fair, <laughs> that's a fair comment. Um. <laughs> So, just use the mechanics. Like, tell something. Like, you know, if this is going to be about Neo struggling to like be this like leader or to be this like chosen one, uh, like you know, we spend the whole movie building up that he's going to save the human race, and then we get to Zion in the second one, and immediately there's like politics and there's people debating what to do, and Neo's not even in the room having the conversation. It's all Morpheus. Well, he's busy having sex with Trinity. He's, he's he's yeah, he's busy being like. Hey, I saw you in Memento between the first and second movie. Uh, so maybe hot or <laughs> something. The only point know. to say that was to bring up a Christopher Nolan movie. Is that it? A, a good, good <laughs> movie. A much better movie than this. Ugh, such a Nolan fan. Such a Nolan fanboy. <laughs> I don't think Dunkirk was good. I love that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like the um, the visual of the hallway with the not with all the smiths in it with all the doors because it kind of reminds me of um, like when I worked at a mall and like you see the mall all the time yeah, yeah. but then when you work in a mall and you go out into the back room and like to take the trash out and stuff you're like oh it's just like there's this whole network of hallways and doors behind everything and it's like I don't know kind of blows your mind the first time you see it. Yeah, immortalized actually in Stranger Things season three, uh, which is, I haven't seen that. <laughs> which is set largely in a mall, and the kids uh, get Steve to sneak them into the movie theater by because he works in the the, the ice cream place, so he, he mm-hmm. takes them in the back and 
they go into this hallway. They go into the hallway that connects everything. Yeah. That scene like sent me back in time to when I first experienced that. Mm. And it was like seeing a whole new world. Like, wow. Seeing the inner workings of a mall. There's this whole underground back back room area that the, us regular people don't get to see. Think about what you felt in this first movie when Smith shows up at the subway station and Neo turns around and decides he's going to fight. Think mm-hmm. about what you felt in that scene and what it meant for the character and how how the the fire within you that you wanted to see him beat the piss out of this agent because he has it coming. <laughs> like you felt it. You felt it in your soul. In this mm-hmm. scene, when when like when Smith walks onto this this basketball court, which by the way, how does he even know that Neo's here specifically? This is like so like, it's, I mean, it's it's far from the biggest problem in the movie, but it's just now I'm thinking about it. Like he just happens to know where he is exactly. Maybe he uh, was able to take over one of the birds, one of the crows. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as soon as he walks on, and he's still calling him Mister Anderson, and he's still like. Remember me? <laughs> I, I don't know what this any of this says. Like I don't know what this says. Like you know, Anderson was such a great villain. He he represented the system. He represented everything that wanted to keep him bottled up and like you know pinned into a a category and and in his place. And in this this movie, it's like, wait. So if you do break free of it, like that, like you know, your old boss is going to hunt you down because he's pissed you got away from him. <laughs> like is it, like is that the sentiment that we're given here with this? It just it does not work. Like, so some movies lend themselves to sequels because it's like, okay, you, you have a movie where there's a serial killer who kills a bunch of teenagers. You know what? The serial killer can do that again, and it won't in any way upset the first movie. Or yeah. you can have even something like like Die Hard, where yeah, it's a bit silly that John McClane finds himself in a very similar situation, but it doesn't change anything about the enjoyment of the first film. It doesn't. It doesn't ruin the ending of Die Hard that. It happens again in the airport. Well, Jeremy Irons has a vengeance. <laughs> or the third one, yes. You know, it doesn't change, you know, because Die, Die Hard 5 is an absolute garbage movie. I hated that movie. Every fibre of my being is trash. But it doesn't, like, like, it insults the quality of the first one, but it doesn't, it doesn't, like, re- it, it doesn't have to, like, alter everything you feel about John McClane in that first movie to, to, like f- like have another sequel where he's like shooting more bad guys like it still just works because it can be uh you know terrorist situation of the week right it can be that you know mm-hmm. for better or worse but the matrix is such a tight story where just going back to that world just starts to like break down everything the first movie said yeah i wonder if it wasn't the wachowskis like if just some super fan who is like this is a really cool world and like a really unique look and style that I think we can do more with it. I remember um, like if they wanted, if someone else wanted to do that, like if we could get something good. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, maybe. Um, Cause it is like a cool world and with a unique style. I mean, we don't need any more. Like it's okay for one movie to just exist and never have a sequel. <laughs> like that is. Oh, absolutely. Perfectly okay. And I still would prefer that. Yeah. Um, I do distinctly remember Joel Silver uh, the producer like and admittedly this may have always been marketing but i remember him claiming like very very intently claiming that this was always intended as a trilogy i don't believe a word of it <laughs> but, no i don't think so either 
Although I guess we sort of have what I was saying with the Animatrix, because a lot of those are pretty good. I remember the Animatrix being okay. Sure. That was so a I guess there is potential for like people to like play around with in the sandbox and give us something good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not really that interested in like having tons of more Matrix though, because no, ulti- I mean... because ultimately, what makes the first movie good is not the world it creates. I mean, the world it creates is good, but that's not the appeal. The, the, the reason why it's great is because of the story it tells and the character journey and how it fits into the world that it's created. Yeah. Um. That, this is this is the problem that Star Wars actually does have a lot of the time is that. People are obsessed with telling more stories in Star Wars world that they kind of rely on it. And it's like, yeah, but the reason why Star Wars was good is because it was the story of Luke and Han and Leia and like their chemistry and the, the performances from those actors and the like that journey. And the, like that's what made Star Wars good. It's not that they had something called a Jedi. It's not that they had Star Destroyers. It's not that they had these things. They, these were all just, you know, th- those were the, the textures, the flavors they added into it to make it all cool and interesting but that's not really what made star wars good um but people obsess over what the name of han solo's gun was because nerds are going to nerds and that's fine i'm not saying you can't do that but there's a problem when it feels like the next movie is made around that idea where that's why you're making the next movie because you want to make more movies where we find out why he's called solo (laughs) okay well you haven't watched that movie i haven't watched that movie but I'm pretty sure I'm going to hate it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you, you're you going to watch it like you are right now with a terrible mood and your arms folded. <laughs> like that, I will concede it will probably be a very coherent, functional movie, I'll, but I'll probably hate the principle of it's, what it's, it's doing. It's fine. It's a fine movie. Um, it's not... It's not It's not great, of course. Um, for Star Wars fans, I think it's acceptable. The... In my in my eye, honestly, like there are two great sequels in the Star Wars saga, and one pretty good sequel, which is Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Sure. Um, and then the rest are like, okay, let's just have fun in this in this sandbox. Sorry about my cat, because I'm I'm just filling with rage right now. <laughs> Just steaming. Is it coming out of my ears yet? <laughs> All right. Why, why don't you wrap up and rate Matrix Reloaded? That I think I think we're safely done. It's funny. I think even the the title of the movie is kind of silly. Like just we're doing the Matrix Reloaded. Like we're going to give you all the the action that you liked from the first movie without any of the important parts. Um, I think that. I think the I don't think the movie is like a slog to watch like it was for you. I think a lot of the action is filmed really well and some of the set pieces I I do really enjoy. And a lot of the mythology that they add into it um is intriguing. But the stuff that is bad is is really bad and and it does make the first movie worse. So for that reason I really wish that this doesn't exist, but it does. So if I'm just watching it as a fan-made sequel <laughs> to a masterpiece, I'm going to give it a six. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Oh. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think that's probably what I gave it in like 15 years ago. <laughs> that's probably what I gave it 15 years ago when I was being generous. <laughs> um, like so, so much of what's wrong with Hollywood making sequels I see in this movie. Uh, mm. and it hurts because the first one is so damn good. Um, and it's baffling that there's the same creative team involved. <sighs> I've already repeated my points enough that I don't think I need to, you know, reiterate them here, but, um, it's just, it's kind of a soul-destroying watch. It's, it, it, it's, it's just, it feels a little soulless. It feels like the craft of movie making, particularly the craft of writing a movie, seems to have just been left behind somewhere and there's just nothing there's nothing to drive or make me care about anything that's going on in the movie except that i'm supposed to from the first one and that only goes so far that genuinely only goes so far uh so yes uh any points that it does get it gets for a couple of good ideas that are not executed well but they are there uh couple of morpheus moments even though i do think his character suffers a lot from the worst writing uh, when he's making speeches or he's trying to convince people to believe in the prophecy uh you know because his speech towards the end when he's convincing the teams to like stay and help them like so neo can get to this door and they're sitting in the red kit there the red chairs from the first film for just randomly cause um yeah he he's his reason is basically like, yes you, you you could leave but you could also stay and imagine imagine if i'm right and that the war will be over tomorrow. Isn't that worth dying for? I'm like, you've not really given us any reason to believe you in that speech. You've just kind of said, go on, maybe this, maybe this will work. Maybe it'll work. <laughs> maybe I'm right. Yeah. There's not a lot, a lot there. You don't want to be wrong, right? So, <laughs> so he, I think his character suffers a little bit in that, but he definitely is not as well written as he was in the no. first movie. The first movie, he's like, can't take your eyes off of him. Like every time he speaks, it's like, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne should just play God. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Keanu Reeves almost benefits because he's relatively, and in a nice way, but he's relatively wooden. So I think yeah. he actually comes across very similar, not because the writing is is on point, but just because he still delivers his lines. He's supposed to be like, way. nothing affects you now. You yeah. are Superman. <laughs> um, Which is why even when it's like the CGI fights, if you're just looking at his face, you're like, that looks like Neo. But like the coat is unbelievable. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's supposed to be wooden. Hmm. That's an interesting justification for the bad face. But, I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I can see what you're saying. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just trying to sum up here. I just I, I wanted to mention that speech just being kind of stupid uh yeah there's so much of this i don't like there's so much um so three out of ten Ooh, that is low <laughs> I, I i feel nothing during... i mean you've said that you've hate yeah. you hate this movie so i get it yeah i feel nothing throughout the vast majority of the action scenes I think almost all the new characters are just kind of tedious and underwritten and feel very thin. Um, you know, we, we have the one vain, you know, very, very vain attempt to try and make us care about Link by having his wife worry about him for like two scenes and is, 
you she know, gives him a necklace. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's very little to it. Do you uh, think that necklace belonged to Tanker Dozer or something? Is that were we supposed to remember no, that necklace? No, I got it was more like a religious thing. Like she believes in this for oh, superstitious okay. reasons. Yeah, um, yeah. The, obviously, from a technical level, the action's bad. All the you know the CG's bad, but fundamentally, I just think that the the script is is piss poor, and that there is no momentum. The pacing's horrible. And the mechanical, the storytelling devices that are used here are just MacGuffin 1 to MacGuffin 2 to MacGuffin 3 just because. And it shouldn't feel that way. And it does feel that way. So, 3 out of 10. Yes, Gus. Yes, Gus. Quiet, quiet, cat. Now you're pissing me off. <laughs> he wants to escape. He's a house cat. He's not allowed to escape. <laughs> I know. Going out means certain death for him. <laughs> eight. Eight. Yeah. All right. So there you go. That's the Matrix Reloaded. Um, if you've made it this far into the review, then put the word or phrase. What was one of the MacGuffins? <laughs> There's like several... The Keymaker. Put the Keymaker into the comments to let us know you've got this far. Tara's going to pose for the thumbnails, so I hit that mic out of the way. Uh, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what you do. Uh, Alright, three... Oh, got no plans. Three, two, one. Pause! Tiger claws? my my fighting style ah okay um i don't know what to do for these maybe i'll photoshop my uh, beard white so i'll look the architect <laughs> i don't have a white suit jacket unfortunately to put on to complete the image but give me um jada pickin smith's eyeglasses her sunglasses okay okay <laughs> so there and you go. little curly cues <laughs> uh the tight buns there is that. Uh, next week, Tara knows what we're doing, so I'll let Tara tell you what we're doing next week. That's right. We have a very exciting movie to announce for next week. <laughs> Do we? Let me just pull it up <laughs> on the schedule. Tara, it's the one you picked for your birthday. Oh, that's right. Okay, I remember. Yeah, it is my birthday. So I'll be. T- we'll be doing the second greatest science fiction movie of all time <laughs> mystery science theater 3000 the movie which means you're getting a double because we're also going to be reviewing the classic science fiction film this island earth um to celebrate both my anniversary of birth and the 25th anniversary of the film being released this year mm. yay <laughs> may is a very good month for birthdays i'll say that yes There you go. Mr. Science Theory 2000 the movie is next week's review. I have no idea how that review is going to go or how yes, it's going Peter to work. Peter is not thrilled about this, Charlie. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to say to watch it. I like Mr. Science Theory 2000. I just don't know how you review, review it. <laughs> like, review it, review just it. The way we review all movies. Okay. Because I mean, obviously, we used to have a segment where we. we we did. We talked. Talked about uh, a Mystery Science Theater episode, 
and it kind of faded away just because we couldn't find time because basically i think it was around the time tara started doing like two other things a week it was like okay we don't really have time to like get together and watch a mystery science theater but yeah because the point of that was that mystery science theater is definitely better when you watch it with other people yes because it just it's always funnier that way and that doesn't mean that we'll never go back to that in some form or do something with Mrs. Nice Theory. I, I think there's potential there for something oh. at some point. But I do own them all on DVD. Marida. <laughs> Maybe after Babylon 5 we'll do a Mr. Science Theater rewatch. Oh, in order. Like, the, the way Cable intended. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Mr. Science Theater I think is an exceptional show for that you're just watching a movie there are i guess some storylines that go through but that mostly happens in like the sci-fi channel years yeah but that's the interesting part of doing in order though is you get to see the ebbs and flows of okay you know because if you just pick you're just going to pick the good ones and then we're going to be like that's absolutely what i do yeah but then you're going to be like all the bad ones at the end and we're not saying we're going to do this by the way right i i i I was not actually suggesting an actual review series of mystery science theater well i mean we've talked about it before yeah we have pondered the idea and we'll probably ponder it once more when the time comes but uh we shall see we shall see yes 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 a cat a cat is going to perish tonight he's like he's so cute (laughs) All right, that has been the Atomic Cinema Experiment. Uh, you can like and subscribe, which is very important. It helps us out a lot if you do that. So please do like and subscribe. Uh, that's how YouTube dictates success. Also rate the podcast uh, five stars with a little review on iTunes, wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, Tara, will you tell the, the kind people about Patreon? Yes. Um, if you enjoy our show and our reviews, please check out our Patreon page patreon.com slash TV, and if you donate as little as one dollar per month you will get access to bonus episodes of the ace what do we keep there you say why most of our b movies are there so if you enjoy mystery science theater that's where you'll find mystery science theater adjacent films and movie starring gary graham the greatest actor of all time and if you donate five dollars per month you'll get to vote on what Movies we watch once a month. Oh, God, my cat. And you'll get access to these reviews one day early and some shows you get a week early. So please head over, check that out. really helps us out. And um, we give you a bunch of stuff for it. Thank you. Excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can tell you we're struggling there. Uh, as you say that, I'm looking over at my, my adorable cat, Garris, who's sound asleep. Off to the left. Gus has found food, so he's distracted now. Now mm-hmm. that I'm done with the pitch. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, well there you go. That's the atomic serum experiment. That has been the Matrix Reloaded discussion. Um have at it, I guess. Um we'll see you in about a month or so for revolutions or revelations or resolutions. Uh <laughs> I always forget what the title of the third one is. I would just confirm this before we wrap up. Revolutions. It is revolutions, just to confirm. Because these movies spin me right round, baby, right round. 
or because we're going to revolt or both. I'm pretty sure it means in the context of there being a revolution (laughs) and a cultural sense, but... uh... Well, I mean, revolution also means, like, how many times something cycles through, which is also relevant to the Matrix. I suppose. Yeah, but I don't consider the two and three canon at this point. Now that I've remembered how bad this movie is, uh, the first film (laughs) is the only real one in the story, and everything that comes after uh, is to be left. And, yeah... So, there you go. Thank you very much for joining us once again. It's always a pleasure. Keep watching science fiction movies and computer and salsa. Welcome to the desert of the mind.